brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands this conversation. And I often draw on the meeting and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as from my own consulting experience, including the work I do today at Insignium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch it via a recorded podcast. We were on the air with C.C. Lyons, an up-and-coming author who addresses taboo topics that others dare not embark. She's the author of Alpha Female Unleashed, From the Boardroom to the Bedroom. We talked about what she means by the alpha female, how alpha females can uniquely contribute in the workplace, and how they show up in relationships and communities. With us this week is Sherry Elliott Yuri, who is an author, speaker, coach, and trainer in the area of human resources and talent management. She's the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage, and You Can Have It All, Just Not All at Once. And we will be talking a bit about really purpose in the work that we do, recognition, and really what we can learn from millennials and other generations in the workplace. Miss Sherry, Sherry Elliott Yuri joins us from Dallas, Texas today. Sherry, welcome to Working on Purpose yet again. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful. Such a treat. I want to start by talking really about purpose. As you know, that's one of my favorite topics to talk about. This is why the show is called Working on Purpose. And of course, most people who know anything about you do know you as the generational guru, and you are a recognized expert across the globe on uh, employee recognition, motivation, engagement, among many other things, and of course, generations too. So I want to start our conversation by talking about your why, Sherry, why the field of HR. I know you've been at it for, for a long time. I know a lot of your story, but our listeners don't. So why this field? That's a great question. I actually was at a uh, HR conference this morning, and someone looked at my name tag, and I said, oh, you're the generational guru. And I said, yeah, but there's more to me than just that. So sometimes when you get known in one area, um, they think that that's all you've ever done. And I'm like, hold on a second. I've been in HR for 25 years. And um, I've, I've been working in the generational space for about 10 out of those 25 years. And so 
I started out in payroll, and I really saw that personnel, which was what it was called back when I was um, first starting out, I thought you needed to have a personality to be in personnel. (laughs) My boss at the time did not have a personality, so I thought, you know what, this is the kind of work I want to do. And so I went back to school after getting an accounting degree and found my true calling and purpose, and that was connecting with people. And and that has taken me all the way from HR into coaching and, and to writing and speaking. So that's really been my purpose. It's the same purpose. It's just taken me down multiple different roads. I want to chime in on that, Ms. Sherry, because you know that I've got a perspective on that, and you know that I've been doing research around helping people or, or discovering how people find meaning in their work and how it's related to their sense of self or identity. And so my 15 modes of engagement has been out there for a while, and what I finally discovered, and I don't know if you and I have talked about this or not, but I finally realized that I am, after all of these years, living my purpose in terms of the work that I do. And that is, it's just so important for me to be able to help people find their passion in their life, ideally in the work that they're doing, and in a way that really helps them grow and learn and become more of who they were than they were the day prior. So it took me a while to get here. I didn't have the story that you do. It kind of happened organically over time, but I finally got there. (laughs) And that's great. That's all that matters. I mean, some people are doing their second career and, you know, they're getting to be 50 and above and they're going, hey, I want to do something meaningful and I've, I've done this all my life, but this really interests me. So I feel very grateful and I'm sure like you do that we found our purpose and our calling a lot sooner because now we have that much more time to continue and see where that road takes us. There's no doubt about that. And, and you know, I know that a lot of people who listen to the show, Sherry, and by the way, I want to thank our listeners. We do enjoy listenership from across the globe. Um, I noticed when I looked at the stats last week that Japan had a lot of listeners followed by China. And then, of course, we've got lots of listeners across the United States as well. But I want to thank you all for, for tuning in. And what I do know about about people who listen to the show is many of them are looking for tools to be able to improve the way that they do their work or the way that they lead or are looking for a continuous leg up. And others are really out there just trying to figure out, what is my purpose? I, I'd like to find it and I'd like to live it. And so to that end, before we talk about companies working in that space, can you comment on what you've learned or seen and how people find their purpose? I think it's about paying attention to the clues. And and when I was younger, I was so focused on um, getting from an hourly paid job to a salary paid job where I actually had paid vacation um, that I didn't have that that blessing or that opportunity to to really look beyond anything other than, you know, making a living. And, And now I look at it and I go, I follow the energy and I follow the clues. If I meet someone, just like how you and I met, and we've discussed this before, it was following that energy. We went, oh, yeah, I like you, and we need to know each other. And then, as you say, love at first sight. That is following the energy to me, and I go, that's what I want to keep doing. So if something feels right or it's of interest to me, I may not be able to actually use it in my business or my life yet, but I know I will someday, and it's going to make me a better consultant, a better speaker, and a better person. I like the way that you said that, Sherry, following the energy. I didn't really think about it that way, but that is exactly what I mean when I when I talk with people about paying attention to, to cues and such. So for the benefit of our listeners, uh, our story really quick, I reached out to you and I think it would have been, I think we decided it was 2008, something like that. And I was when I had co-founded the, the organization Improved Experience and I was reaching out to you 
on the hopes that we might partner together and somehow be able to at least refer business to one another, if not somehow you know, you came on the platform that that we were working on, which was uh, which which was an it was an HR um, online feedback tool that we had created. And when we met, just like you said, there was instantaneous connection. We just got each other. It was like one of those kind of things where we just knew that there had to be some way to be able to do something together. And then not that long after that, I called you up. I think it was two months later and said, hey, I'm hosting this conference in San Francisco. I don't have any budget at all to pay you, but would you come and speak on something that delights you? And you said, yes, of course, and the rest is history. So I think you know, opting into those kind of energy sources that fuel us, that that make us see a possibility bigger for, than ourselves, I think is part of what I would want our listeners to pay attention to. Your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. And like I said, the more you do it, the more you, you get good at it. And um, even things that, you know, may not seem important. For instance, I went to um, hear Gabrielle Bernstein at her new book launch in Boston. And it was like three days before the event. And I went, why not? This is something I want to learn about. And so it was like, get on a plane. So trying not to let things limit you uh, and go, oh, well, you know, it's only three days away. Oh, you know, if you can do it, make it happen. Because if it's pulling you and drawing you, there's something there that you're going to learn and know that's going to make you a much better professional and person. So just just do that. Just don't put a lot of no's. Follow the yeses. Mm-hmm. Now, since we're still talking about purpose, I wanted to also see if you could conjure any examples of companies that really have organized themselves around purpose or they find a way to keep purpose alive for their employees. So I have one example that I want to start with, and I want to see if you can think of any others yourself. But I recently, let's see, it would have been last fall sometime, went to a conscious capitalism event here in Dallas. And uh, the speakers for that event were executives from uh, a, a car resale company called Drivers Select, and I was immediately in in uh, involved and in, and in love with 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 what they were up to, and essentially what they were doing, Sherry is, and what they are doing. I, I have since had them on my radio show as well, and they were found uh, fantastic. What they are really up to is they have created a culture of purpose. Everything that they do is about the heartbeat of the of the of the customer, delighting the customer. They've created processes around how employees respond and they they recognize employees to respond quickly to a customer's wishes and hopes and so the whole culture is this vibrant thing of passion and purpose and customer delight so they're an organization that i would point to as doing it well on in terms of creating a a purpose that's alive for their employees can you think of any that you would want to call out and show out as an example yeah, actually, I worked for a nonprofit um, quite a long time ago as head of HR, and it was here in Dallas, and, and they really brought around and had us go a lot. It was for domestic violence shelter, and it's really hard work. And so for them to find a way and for us to have purpose and meaning to their work, it's, it's really difficult when you're taking phone calls 24 hours a day of, of, of battered and abused men and women. And, and to provide that opportunity for them to see that they actually are making a difference. We spent a lot of time um, showing them what they were doing in these people's lives. And, and people who graduated through the program would come back and, and bring their children and, and show how they'd set up their new life and, and thank the people, their caseworkers, their intake, their hotline workers, you know, everything from the janitor because each person made a difference. And that difference 
And that connection is what kept the staff together and wanting to work in a nonprofit environment for less than top wages and in a very deep, difficult job. And I was really impressed with that. And that's one of the reasons I stayed as long as I did, because you knew you were making a difference in someone's life. And I really liked the way they didn't... Um, you know, just say, okay, it, it is hard. Instead, they said, this is hard, but look at the impact you're making. And we were able to honor employees and, and bring them together and celebrate the successes of the people who were able to graduate the program and move on and have a better life. I think that's a beautiful story. And I, I think so much of this whole notion of, of purpose is really all about language, right? One of the things that we know at Insignium is that there's a, there's real power in language and being able to articulate something means that you are declaring it into existence. So even just simply organizations that imbue in their culture and the way that they, they start meetings or the way they talk around their purpose or their mission is can be so important in grounding people into that space. You know, for example, I, I know that um, years ago I had a conversation with a with a woman who was part of it. She was also a nonprofit, so we don't want listeners to think that you can only get purpose if you're a nonprofit organization because it's just <laughs> not true at all, right? But, but in her case, she had the ability to look at every transaction. It was, it was a supply chain organization supplying um, various necessities to um, you know uh, ravaged countries by that usually had some kind of a storm or some kind of a crisis element to it. And she took delight in being able to see that in her role, tracking every little piece of the supply chain that got those supplies and materials to the needed location, um, that's really what gave her it. She, she knew that that was the purpose of the organization, and she could actually track her own purpose individually to her performance to that. And it made her work just, it, she felt like she was on fire every day going to work. Oh, yeah, and, and that's actually the reason that gives us the engagement and, and makes us want to come back, whether we're working for a nonprofit for ourselves or for somebody else. That's exactly the motivator. Well, and so now to that end, there's one human being in that whole, shall we say, supply chain who can really make a difference, and that is the the boss, the supervisor, the manager, the person that maybe is one level above an individual employee. So sometimes it's a little bit harder to... Um, notice or recognize it as an individual employee just what is the purpose of this organization and how am I connected to that? So our uh, uh, the leader can have a really strong role in that. So do you can you comment, Sherry, and all the stuff that you've been up to? How can leaders help presence purpose for their employees to help motivate them and engage them? Yeah, one of the things that you know, and I love the the way you you transition from manager and boss to the word leader because I think that's one of the biggest things is, you know, boss just has such a connotation of we're going to boss people and you know we're managing you instead of leading you to a place of um, performance, engagement, joy, you know, all of those things and satisfaction. And I think it it starts with one is it's being a leader and walking the talk and being open and um, hearing feedback, and, and that is more collaborative in the work environment, most definitely. But they need to be able to lead and to lead and show that they, they are human and they have interests, not just what they do um, 8 to 5 or 9 to 5, whatever it happens to be, that they have other things they do. This is who I am as a full person. And so I think what that does is also gives employees the opportunity to go, hey, you know what, this is my job, say, in accounting, or in customer service, I think I might be able to do something else. Could I sit on this project or this team? Leaders 
can help provide those opportunities and clear the pathway for people to have the opportunity to learn something new. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you're talking, Sherry, what I'm also remembering is, you know, just the the, the way that a, a leader can go about working with individual people can be so powerful in terms of helping to presence purpose. So as an example, uh, right now, uh, we're working with a client on what we call the Inspirational Leader Program. And what that program is really all about, Sherry, is it's designed to help leaders develop the skills to be really powerful listeners to their people so that they can really understand, who is this person, Sherry, who works for me? What lights her up? What turns her on? Because if I can be tuned into that, then I know what inspires that person. And if I know what inspires that person, I've got a pretty good chance of being able to help connect them to something bigger of import that helps them stay motivated and engaged and just alive in their work. Have you seen examples of that? Was somebody doing that really well? Actually, you and I have worked with a client, and it's not nonprofit, so um, this is good. It's actually a PR <laughs> agency here in Dallas. And on my first tour around their office, I saw in each cubicle, not only did they have their strengths finder posted, um, so you knew what their top five strengths were, but you also knew who they were, what their hobbies were, and if they had a family. And I absolutely love that. I could walk into somebody's cubicle and not even know their name, but I would know exactly what their strengths were. So I could even have an idea without knowing what their position was and what they did, and then who they were as a person. So how incredible to to know that when you're working, you're a new employee or you're trying to connect with each other. Oh, wow, this person plays hockey or this person's from India. I mean, it just creates that instant connection. And you can do that with just two simple pieces of paper up in your desk. I just thought that was such a great idea. And unfortunately, I wasn't the one who gave it to them. And you can clap if you want, but <laughs> <laughs> you know that doesn't really matter. As long as you can, you you can just recognize it in them, right? I think it's it's beautiful, and and it's it's really the import or the the power of seeing individual people is just so important in terms of being able to take a stand for what they for what they stand for in life. Who are they? How do they come to work? And, and, and especially right now, for example, Sherry, I'm working with an organization where they're conducting layoffs. And I reached out to one of the people who was the project lead that I've been working with. And he said, guess what, Elise, I'm one of them. So, and I knew this about him because he and I had been talking and I could stand in his presence and see him. Right. And so there's something about being able to do that with someone that is so powerful. So if a leader can do that with each one of their people, they really know who they are and what their heartbeat is, what a difference that can mean in terms of helping them find and connect with their own purpose, as well as helping thread that back to what the organization does. Oh, and it creates an immense amount of trust when you know something about someone and you lean in and be authentic and vulnerable and tell someone something that probably isn't well known in your bio or on your website or something. I, I told a lady sitting next to me that I was from Canada and, um, you know, I joked and told them who my first American job was 20 years ago was with Hooters and she just laughed. <laughs> well, that's not in my bio. And I said, yeah, but it was in HR. And so it, it just kind of broke the ice. And now she and I knew, and then she shared something. And then she and I knew more about each other. And there was an, a, a bigger connection after that. And it wasn't anything big, except for it was our way of creating a thread of connection so that 
we had an opportunity to want to know more about each other. And it does. It makes you real and approachable. And that's really what it is for leaders when they can do that. Their people feel like they're able to go to them, especially in difficult times or with questions. Mm, couldn't agree more. And a beautiful way to take us into our first break already. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We run the air with Sherry Elliott Yuri, who is an author, speaker, coach, and trainer in the area of human resources and talent management. She's the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage, and also You Can Have It All, Just Not All at Once. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We've been talking a bit about how we can bring purpose alive in organizations through individuals and to the organization. After the break, we're going to talk about recognition. Stay with us. We will be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Sherry Elliott-Yuri, who is an author, speaker, coach, and trainer in the area of human resources and talent management. She's the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage, and You Can Have It All, Just Not All at Once. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, we were talking about purpose and the importance it plays in staying motivated and engaged with the work that we do and being recognized as individuals. For this segment, I want to talk about recognition, Sherry. So I know that it's been said that recognition is has been proven to be one of the highest drivers of engagement. Um, do you know what, where that comes from? Is that from surveys, from feedback? How do we know this? 
One of the things that I found interesting that you just said that the conference I was at this morning, they pulled up a statistic that over 75% of employees that are happy and engaged at work have taken no time off in six months due to illness. Hmm. And the remainder had taken over 11 days. So it's, it's really interesting to think about when people feel engaged and recognized they're not needing to be gone. They are much happier, healthier people. And so um, I just found that fascinating. That was, that was a new 2017 survey that they discussed this morning. And I thought, wow, it just goes more and more to about how we treat people and we recognize them in a way that's meaningful to them as well as they're feeling engaged. You cannot put a dollar amount on that. Yes, we can look at cost for turnover and, and sick time and workers' comp accidents, but, you know, really there is no amount of money you can pay someone to be engaged. You can pay them to do their job and you can recognize them for doing their job, which is a paycheck. Um, but those other things, those, those intangibles that are really critical. I want to say two things to that. So one, I can say that Dr. Bob Nelson, who we'll have on the air at some point in the future, I know he also sees that recognition is, is the biggest driver of engagement. And we'll find out what he means by that when he comes on. But I will tell you from my own experience, I, I had um, the, the the wonderful experience of working with a company called the Center for Talent Solutions for a couple of years. Derek Barton is their CEO. Hello, Derek, if you're listening. Um, they have a, a particular program that they do where they've identified 50 talent variables that are drivers for employees. And they're, they're broken into four different categories. And um, the number one that they have found that it seems to resonate as the most important, most commonly um, chosen as the number one driver um, for engagement is value and to be valued and appreciated. So that's, I think, quite, quite along the, the, the lines of recognition. How would they know that, that unless somebody recognized them as such? So that's one way that, that we found that. And the way that they did that was they had that 50-variable survey that they used in the work that they did. And so that's how it was discovered. And just to quickly see what we mean by that, what, what, what does that look like? I remember distinctly in one of the engagement um, uh, consulting um, assignments that I was working on, it was with a hospice organization. And of course, what came up was that value and appreciation variable was really lowly scored, very important to them, but scored low as their experience. And looking at the open text comments in support of that, what employees were saying is that um, executives and leaders would walk down the, down, the, down the hall and never even acknowledge or say hello or good morning to other employees. And they felt belittled by that, not seen, not acknowledged, not valued. So pretty simple action to be able to correct, right, Cherry? Just add a good morning and look up for a moment to, to your day. Um, but can you, can you talk about that, what you've seen in other organizations around how they, they practice recognition well? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. When you said that about just looking up, I remember working with one of the, um, the tribal nations in Oklahoma and their CFO one of the 360s came back, and um, the biggest thing is he wasn't found approachable because when he walked down the hallway, he walked with exceeding speed, and he looked straight down, never making eye contact. And it was because he was thinking about his next meeting he was going to, but people were actually afraid of him because he never looked up and engaged with them. So his employees wouldn't come to him. Nobody would want to walk into his office or dare stop him in the hallway when he was walking with such definitive purpose because... They didn't want to bother him. So that's absolutely true. It's a very small thing. And I was like, wow, just lift your head and look at your employees. Um, so it, it is amazing how that can make a difference. 
Can you can, first let me let me back up and say that I I know because of the work that I've done in terms of a researcher and certainly just being in organizations and and doing various kinds of surveys, cultural surveys and other kinds of surveys, that recognition is an individual thing. In other words, people like to be recognized according to how they like to be recognized. Some people want to be trotted across stage and given a trophy and everybody claps and. Uh, others want to see their name in a newsletter. Others want to, you know, they want something that they could take home that says their employee of the year, whatever it was, right? And others just really, it's more valuable just to hear from the boss, wow, do you know that without your involvement, we would have never brought this thing home? Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen organizations be able to uh, tailor their recognition practices to, to their employees? Yes, and it's very costly. It costs you a four-by-six index card. That's it. That's as simple as it's going to get. And I tell people (laughs) to sit down with your employees with your four-by-six index card and ask them, how do they want to be recognized? Wow. How do they want to be communicated with? And so what, like you said, some want a trophy. And they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, you know, annual service awards. And it's funny because my husband said he had to move offices recently. And I said, well, did you have a lot to move? He goes, no. And I said, what about those awards you got? And he said, they're in the trash the minute I've been given them. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just such a waste of resources if that's not really impactful to the person you're giving it to. So if you ask them, uh, for instance, I worked with a college recently and they would give awards for tenure or for doing a great project. Most of the millennials that I spoke to, for instance, they were up sick to their stomach, i.e. throwing up wanting to call in sick the day before they had to get on stage and accept an award because they were terrified. Now, if you'd asked them what they wanted, they probably wanted a Amazon gift card, an Apple gift card. They might want a day off to go volunteer. Now, maybe somebody more as a baby boomer, more in the 40s to 55 range, would want extra time off or a bigger pay increase or, yes, a letter from the president or an email going out from the CEO to the whole company touting their accomplishments. So I really think, honestly, that 4 by 6 index card is so true. How do you want to be recognized? How do you want to be communicated with? And that goes from verbal to written to email to text. Even um, some of my providers um, that like my hairdresser, for instance, I asked her, how, do you, how can I make my appointments the quickest? Some people have online tools. She says, oh, just text me. I love that. Now, I could spend all this time calling people, or if they just tell me and you make that ask, then I'm going to be able to connect with you that much quicker and we're going to be more efficient. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I see, especially newer newer leaders, newer managers making the mistake of, and, and I know I've done a fair amount of work with management training and leadership training over the years and just developing them as leaders in their along their journey. And it's it's natural. It's nothing, this is not a knock on any of us, but it, it's that thing of the natural thing when you step into a new space is, well, I'm going to do it like this because that's how I would like it done for me. In other words, I'm going to create a recognition system for my employees because this is what I would want. That would that would be nice for me. And it's just so misguided. Not Again, not in a bad way. I'm not trying to knock on them. It's just misguided. It'd be like, it would be sort of like me attempting to try to talk with you in Spanish when your language is Russian, right? It just wouldn't, it just wouldn't connect. And so I like very much your idea of that little note card, because if you then can understand what it is that matters to someone, what really motivates them, because that's what you're getting down to. At the end of this thing, 
that recognition, that means of recognition, is the way to be able to uh, to motivate someone. So for me, for example, um, I, I, I like responsibility. So I would like to have more responsibility heaped on me. Of course, you know, the way that I earn my income is important because I support myself. So th- those are important to me. And like your husband, Cherry, I don't need a plaque. <laughs> you want more opportunity, like you said, and you want to learn. You have a zest for learning. And so when you're asking someone and they say that to you and the next project that comes up, you go, wow, that's great. You know, here's an opportunity to work on this. If someone tells you they have an interest in marketing or, you know, in human resources or something, you can actually provide that. And it's an easy thing to do. It's not like it costs a lot of money, but employees are going to recognize that and they're going to so appreciate that you are actually speaking their language. Mm-hmm. And to that and end, huge. you get them. It- yeah, that's right. We that we goes back to what we were saying back on the on the, on the previous segment about actually seeing someone for who they are, and and allowing being able to see what inspires them, what matters to them, what motivates them is incredibly powerful and useful for the connection, as you said before, the trust and certainly for the motivation. And and to that end, one of the other pieces that I really like to talk about, and it's something that I've done a lot in my consulting with with leaders along their developmental journey is, is the importance of articulating those still, even if there's another way that employees want to be recognized, being able to tell them in whatever format it is, one-on-one, in a group meeting, in a department meeting, across the the organization, whatever it might be, is finding a way to tell them um, why, what you appreciate about them. So acknowledging them. And so what I mean by that, and I know you know what this, but this is for our listeners, Right to when we acknowledge somebody, we do it in a way that really says that it 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 presences how you've seen that person and what you saw them do. So just simply acknowledging, you know, Sherry, I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen you in action with a client, and you move the dial, you make a difference, you connect with them, you understand the heartbeat of their problem, you address it efficiently and effectively, and I can see that they they're they're connected to you. That's one way of acknowledging you. I could also acknowledge you and say that I know that absent your your intervention or work with a client, they probably maybe wouldn't still be in business. What a difference that has made, right? So being able to really articulate very squarely what a person has done and why that performance is important to you and to the organization is incredibly powerful as a motivator. Right. And, and that's true. And that's very important. But what about on the other side, too? If somebody gets a customer service, a feedback, how great is it that a leader would take that and go, you know what, you got some really good um, kudos from somebody who appreciates what you did for them. Say it's a um, call center or whatever it happens to be. If somebody takes the time to say, um, this person gave me great service. Hotels, for instance, I love giving feedback when somebody's done a really good job for me. Believe it or not, I'll also do it on the other way because I believe if we don't give the feedback, then it's not going to change anything. And so if someone does a good job, I'm going to let the manager know. And I really want them to share that with their employee because how cool is that when they know they've made a direct difference for somebody else? And that even though it's their job, they're making a difference. But it's incumbent on the leader to pay attention to that. No question about it. Although I'm going to quickly say something really quick to bring us back and thread us back to a previous show that I had with Dr. Norman Baldwin. We were talking about the importance of cultivating followership. So employees, 
those of you who are individual contributors or who don't have people that, that report up to you, do you know that you too can acknowledge your boss in ways that encourage his or her behavior the way that you want them to? <laughs> so keep that in mind, that when your boss does something for you the way that you like it, tell them so because it will encourage their behavior. <laughs> I think that's an important thing to add at this point. That That's a two-way street, this recognition stuff. Um, hey, I think so, that's good for our personal lives too. <laughs> uh, right, that's exactly right. Whoever whoever our significant other is, or or or, or people connected to us for sure. Um, while we're talking about recognition, let's go ahead and 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 bring in the millennial part of this planned conversation here, Sherry. So, you clearly know a lot about the generations in the workplace. Can you tell us a little bit about, is there a difference in how the, the generations in the workplace like to be recognized? Maybe you could start first by however you want to present the, the generations, but is there a difference in how they like to be recognized? Yeah, um, typically we don't have a lot of traditionalists who were born before 1944 still in the workplace, but that doesn't mean we don't have people with a traditionalist um, mentality. So I think that's really important first is, to realize that just because someone falls within an age range or they're called a certain generation does not mean that they are going to behave that way, um, especially with the differences in culture. So I say my generational DNA is that of a Gen Xer, but my generational personality, based on life events and where I was raised, um, I'm more like a baby boomer in my behavior. So um, I, I just I like to put that little... Um, note out there for people, especially for the listeners who are thinking, okay, well, millennials, all they want is to be told how great they are, you know, over and over and over again. Um, but that's not true of all millennials. So that's really important is to understand the distinction and have the awareness to ask them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I, I can appreciate what you said. You and I have talked about this before, that I, there's a lot that I tend to draw from in terms of my values from the traditionalists, though I, I behave, I guess, more like a Gen, a gen Xer. Um, I, I think that's a really important distinction. And one of the things that I have heard some of the experts talk about is that millennials seem to want more frequent, at least feedback. It, let's never mind acknowledgement, but at least feedback. Do you think that's true? Has that been your experience or is that your knowledge? Oh, absolutely. So um, envision a uh, bank account, and hopefully the more money we put in, it continues to grow. It's kind of the same way with millennials. You put in the positive feedback, eight strokes a day is what I tell my audience and my clients, eight strokes a day of positive feedback. And you need to build that bank account before you can start having constructive conversations. Notice I didn't say you're telling them what they did wrong you're having a positive, constructive conversation because it's quite the shock when a millennial is typically in their first job and they hear from their boss, that's not right. Go back and fix it. And they're like, well, what do you mean go back and fix it? You know, they haven't built that maturity and that time in the workplace to know um, how to do things differently. So they need a lot of positive strokes. And so if you're not putting money in the bank, you can't take it out. And that's really the, the important point that I want to make about millennials is they do. They need to know. They've grown up being told how great they are and all of the positive things they're doing by their parents and, and a lot by society, that by the time they get to their first job or in the workplace, they need that affirmation before you can start as their boss or their leader, giving them constructive feedback. That is the one of the most uh 
uh, unique pieces of feedback that I've heard about the millennials. And I want to comment on that, Sherry, but let me, let's cut to a break, break first and I'll, I'll do it after the break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Sherry Elliott Erie, who is an author, speaker, coach, and trainer in the area of human resources and talent management. She's the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage, and the, also the book called You Can Have It All, Just Not All at Once. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. After the break, we'll finish our conversation on millennials and the rest of the generations in the workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Sherry Elliott-Urie, who is an author, speaker, coach, and trainer in the area of human resources and talent management. She's the author of Ties to Tattoos, Turning Generational Differences into Competitive Advantage, and also, You Can Have It All, Just Not All at Once. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before we went on break, I said that I would comment on what you said there about why millennials like to have so much positive feedback. And what you had said, if I can paraphrase, is that they had spent most of their life hearing about what they were doing well. And so they're, they're not accustomed yet. They don't, have, they don't have a bank built up yet of being able to presence constructive feedback against 
um, what maybe is positive. And that is the first time I've ever heard an expert talk about why millennials need that in such a, you know, I would say neutral or even positive way. And I really appreciate that. Um, Is there anything else that you want to help us understand about why or how um, millennials specifically like to receive feedback or recognition? Well, part of it is they've been um, raised by baby boomer parents who wanted to do things different than how they were raised by their traditionalist parents who were very um, frugal and had a ton of respect and did the same job all the time. So baby boomer parents were gifting and technology was coming up. So they were giving things to make their children happy, which are now our millennials, and, and to keep them connected. And so they are so tethered. Um, from their, you know, their phones to their iPads to their smartwatches, et cetera, that they're used to instant gratification. And so that's one of the biggest reasons that when they get into the work world, um, it's really difficult because they can sit at their desk and go, hey, I just did something and nobody's here to thank me. Um, a friend of mine did a survey with um, a large, um, a very large organization, and they were looking at onboarding. And one of the young ladies had been there one day, and she came at the end of the day, did her survey about what she thought about her first day. And she's like, there wasn't balloons. In other words, nobody celebrated me because I showed up to work on time. <laughs> you know that's, what? That's the idea. Yeah, I can tell you one of the reasons I continue to 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 teach, I, I teach for Southern Methodist University in the communication department. And one of the reasons I like doing that, one, it's a great experience. It's a great school. The, the kids work so hard. Uh, two, I, the intellectual part of my life is really important to maintain and stoke. And three, I want to stay connected to that, that youngest generation coming into the workforce to understand who they are, what they want, and help bridge them with what's currently in the workforce because I do see a lot of managers exasperated with how do I get these youngsters to to want to come to work to work at the level that I want them to to be engaged etc and it's kind of going back to our example before I think of well they're speaking Spanish and I'm speaking Russian um, exactly. <laughs> or yeah um, exactly and we're speaking you know we're actually speaking versus texting <laughs> right 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 Yes. Oh. Yes. And, and what I was, um, what I shared yesterday on my social media, I thought was, you know, as a parent and as somebody who works in this field, it was very disturbing to me that um, there's a new survey out that between 2009 and 2015, the number of students visiting counseling centers has increased over 30 percent when it comes to dropping out of colleges and um, because of anxiety, depression, et cetera. Because they are so used to having their parents hold their hand, the helicopter parents. Now they're in college. They don't have their parents with them. They are so very accomplished. And they get to school. And now record numbers of college students are seeking treatment and dropping out of school for depression and anxiety. And it's causing a huge problem for schools, obviously, because they've they've got so much um, funding and et cetera that they need. But we also need this generation to be trained and ready to take over for us. And that's really, really important. So we need to set them up for success as much as we can. Yes. And boy, talk about going back to, you know, seeing back in the first step, we were talking about the importance of, of leaders being able to see and understand what it is that 
uh, inspires or matters to their individual employees. Boy, if you step back for a second and understand that millennials are having that kind of experience and that level of anxiety stepping into the workplace, I think it might change your context as to how to interact with them. Instead of seeing them yeah. as, you know, what's wrong with these people? It's, oh, my gosh, how can I help usher them in and, you know, make this easier for them and pull out and draw out their best talents and contributions? Actually, that's the reason um, I just finished writing this new book series on millennials, because even though Ties to Tattoos covers all four generations and we talk about collaboration, it's a collision, millennials are getting such a negative rap, and yet they are positioned as you know, the largest consumer coming up with the most disposable income as well as um, in the workforce, that it's really important. We understand not only how to manage them, but how to attract them and then how to motivate them so that we are speaking the same language. And that means, you know, as leaders, we need to give a little in the way we're used to doing things so that we can meet them. And, and that helps them learn from us as well. And so that cross-mentoring is, is really critical. I had a client recently complain that one of their employees was out sick and called into their benefits department and said, hey, you know, I didn't know that I had to pay money and I'm here at the office. Can you help me? Um, at the doctor's office, there's this thing called a copay. <laughs> and, you know, chances are, and it makes the benefits manager really upset that this person called. Well, didn't you, you know, read the um, explanation of benefits? Well, no. If you handed it to them in paper, probably not. And, you know, you have to realize, this is probably the first time they have gone to a doctor's or to get a prescription without their parents' credit card or on their parents' insurance. Because once they're 26 or they have their first job, they have to be on their own benefits. And so even something as simple as holding forums or doing little videos um, as an employer to help connect with them and say, hey, if you need this, this is how to do it, or refer to this video, and make it fun and interactive and really quick, because they need to know that. And if you make them wrong for not knowing, that takes away a whole lot of that um, bank account that you're supposed to be building from a trust perspective. Instead, understand their point of view, instead of just going, well, shouldn't they know that already? I mean, gee, or shouldn't they know to show up at 8 o'clock instead of 810? Well, maybe there's some work that needs to be done on time management, but it comes from a place of, of being support instead of looking at them from a negative place. Mm-hmm. Two things that come to mind. First, can you share with us a little bit to help us understand? I've heard it said that millennials are the largest generation in the workplace today. Do you know, what is, what's the segmentation breakdown right now for the generations in the workplace? Do you, do you have that handy at the top of your head by chance? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I just finished writing a blog on that, the four generations. And so it was, I'm looking at, um, it's projected over the next two years. So within the next two years, traditionalists will make up less than 1% of the workforce. Baby boomers, less than 22%. Gen Xers will make up 20%. And we've got approximately 50% of the workforce will be millennials. And then Gen Z will be coming in, the youngest generation. That'll be 7%. And Mm. so they're going to be, within the next two years, making up over half our workforce. So we really only have not even enough baby boomers who have knowledge capital to train and pass on that information that's so needed Um, And it's really difficult to get Gen Xers to want to work for a company. A lot of Gen Xers, like yourself and myself, um, we want to work for ourselves because we have a lot of flexibility. And um, Gen Xers are the smallest generation that can actually bridge the gap between baby boomers and millennials. And 
when I talk with my clients, I, I explain to them, this is the time. Get your Gen Xers in here to make the shift and the movement to help connect with millennials as your baby boomers are getting ready to retire. Because Gen Xers embrace diversity and technology, and they can speak the millennial language as well. Great. So the other thing that was coming to my mind is, and you're starting to say this already, but I want to really bring it forthright for our listeners is, I don't know too many generations that don't often look at the the one that's coming after them and saying, oh my gosh, everything's going to heck in a handbasket. Oh my goodness, this is what's coming up next. And very seldom do I hear people say, wow, you know, so much promise with the next generation. There's always the, the tendency to judge, it seems to me, in my limited perspective. And what I would like to really encourage, of course, this is a show that really is designed to help people get some different tools and adopt a different mindset, is I'd really like to encourage people to embrace what can these other generations do for us? Where can we find some, not just commonality, but synergy? And I like very much the way that you're talking about that, Sherry. And I know that when you do talk about generations, you tend to look at what they each bring. So could you say a little bit about just how might these generations really work together to synergize a better future for us in the workplace? Yeah, I think it's about honoring the differences. And and I was talking to someone the other day about a, a new speech, and I said, I said, this is what I talk about. And I made this statement, it's not right, it's not wrong. We're just different. She goes, oh, my gosh, that's it. And But it's true. It's not right or wrong the way each other does things, just it's different. So acknowledging it's different and then sharing how we can work together and bring those strengths is really the way that we can collaborate into the future. But first, it's, it's a matter of no more pointing fingers and saying, but you don't like to have meetings and you like to have too many you know, phone calls and you need us in our seats. Hold on. How can we take what we all have as strength and bring those to the table? And that is our pool. That is the magic for an organization when they recognize people are not their job descriptions. People are people. And working from their place of strength is the most important thing leaders can do to make a collaborative, engaged work environment. So to that end, just something to make it even more specific for our listeners. I had I did a show probably about almost two years ago now on reverse mentoring. And what we talked about was one way to go about uniting and synergizing the generations in the workplace is to bring in the younger millennials and have them paired specifically with someone in the in the organization that's maybe more of a, a boomer or even a Gen Xer. The millennial is helping that person to really adopt and embrace technology in a way that empowers them. And the boomer or X or even traditionalist is helping the millennial learn about strategy, learning about developing relationships, learning about tentacling through the organization, about the past history of the organization. And together, they're each mentoring the other, and everybody wins. Yeah, I'll give a quick story to that. Um, when I was doing research for Ties to Tattoos, I had the opportunity to work with the Dallas Mavericks and their sales force. And I thought, what are they calling me for? I'm Canadian. I know hockey. I don't know basketball. Um, <laughs> but it was actually, it was more about their sales team. And what they were seeing is um, they were having such a huge turnover. They were hiring for the look and the education, but nobody took the time to train millennials and to go with them. So when somebody got a no, and a millennial got a no, they're like, ooh, that no hurt their feelings. Nobody explained to them that the no meant, no, I don't want to buy your product, not no, I don't like you. 
So they internalize that. And without that ability to have reverse mentoring and to have somebody who's been doing it for a long time share the difference, that made a huge turnover in what their numbers look like just by shadowing and explaining that one thing. Because millennials are highly confident, but typically not in sales because they take it personally Mm. and because they don't like phone calls. (laughs) We are almost entirely out of time, but in about 20 seconds, Sherry, what would you like to leave our listeners with? That was a beautiful point. All I want to say is just be open, follow your path, be interested, and share who you are vulnerably, and you're going to make a difference in the world, especially in your workplace, and be a positive leader. How gorgeous is that? Thank you, Sherry. Thank you so much for joining me yet again and sharing your passion and your talents with us. Great to have you back. Thank you for having me. If you want to learn more about Sherry Elliott-Yuri and the work she does or the books that she's writing or have out there in the universe, go to her website. It's generationalguru.com. We will see you next week for yet another interesting, engaging conversation. Remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.